baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It is now 8.07 and it is time to be brave. We have to talk about Spotify tonight. Spotify has been the news, um, been in the news lately and not for the best of reasons. Their squabble with artists over some of the content from podcaster Joe Rogan has called waves across the platform. And how does Spotify compensate artists? Is it fair? Speaking of fair, artists and radio stations may soon be coming together for an agreement on use of the artist's art. Here to comment on it is local entertainment attorney Alex Mueller from Johnson and Helmuth. Welcome, 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 Alex. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. How are you? I'm doing well, and I hate, I, ha- I really don't enjoy talking about Spotify. So may I say that up front? Um, give me your take on Spotify. Is this something we need to be concerned about, or, or, or should we? I mean, should we not? Well, the, the thing is, the, the tech sector has always been a disruptor, and the legal system is always chasing its own tail, as it were. So what's been going on throughout the entirety of the music industry from the very, very first time we were recording music and releasing records, they sort of try to shoehorn the legal system backwards based on technology that existed before that. So what I mean is, first we had, you know, physical medium, we had vinyl records, we had radio, which is AM, FM, broadcast radio. When the internet came out, the laws had to be changed somewhat, and that happened and took effect in 1998. There was a slight update done. But what was weird before that is that artists weren't paid for radio play, only writers and publishers were And that came about for a couple reasons, and one of them had to do with the lack of federal copyright protection for sound recordings as separate works, which was only changed after 1978. And so any recording that was done pre-1972 did not have federal copyright protection, while the, the underlying musical work did. So the writers were getting paid, the artists, the record holders weren't getting paid, that wasn't true in other countries. In other countries, artists did get paid for AM, FM usage, but not in the U.S. And the record industry wasn't all that keen on making broadcasters pay artists either because radio was promotional to sell physical medium. So they said radio looks great for us as a, a sales tool, get people excited about the record and then go buy it. Physical sales really declined recently, in particular. CDs are down something like 97%. Vinyl, weirdly, is going up again, but mostly everything's streaming and downloads. And what happened, we'll talk about Spotify. They're in a category that the law classifies as an interactive digital service provider. So when that was first launched, they said, okay, Internet, what do we do with that? Downloads, 
that makes sense to us, that'll work like physical sales. So we'll treat that like physical sales. All the same royalties will apply. Streaming that works like radio, internet radio, that sort of thing, we'll treat that just like broadcast. And so we'll pay the writers and then we'll create this new right for digital performance for the artists. And then they came to things like Spotify, which are interactive, meaning you can go type in a specific song and it brings that exact song back to you to listen to. Considered interactive, it's a level plus. So they said, oh, I know, that's like a jukebox. So we'll treat that and license it the same way as we would a jukebox. So Spotify Mm -hmm. is an example of an interactive digital service provider. So they're responsible to pay performance royalties to the writers, to the publishers. They're responsible to pay Sound Exchange that digital performance royalty that goes to the record label and the musicians and the artists that perform on the performance side. And then they're also responsible to pay what's called mechanical licensing. And that was the piece that was kind of went back and smoothed over with the Music Modernization Act because that was really the royalty that was getting missed most of the time by these internet providers. That was a long-winded explanation, but that's that's where we're at. I enjoy that long-winded explanation. Thank you very much for that because it reminds me, it takes me all the way back to the early 60s, you know, when uh, groups had to tour to make their money and then they sell their 45 um, and try to get it, you know, played as much as possible, right? We are right back at that. It seems today that professional artists, um, music, music artists, they're getting out there, making a lot of money off of their concerts again right? Uh, They're touring a lot. Um, We've talked about on this show how many of those artists, the big artists that are coming forward, now you've got the artists that are selling their their, um, catalog of songs because they're making a lot of money. I think it was um, our own Bob Dylan that started the big rave about that. And now you've got a whole lot of artists, including Stevie Nicks and others that are coming forward and saying, you know what, I'm ready ready to sell my catalog. Because at this point, it feels like they're selling it anyway. They're giving it away. So if we have already been there in the early 60s, and I want to know how you feel about my my co- comparison here to where we are today, um, when you have someone like Pharrell, as you remember, um, who you know had about 410 million plays of the song Happy and made about 63 or $6,400 for it from Spotify, that is so disturbing. Can this be recreated so that everybody wins? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, There's some other countries that have, like Norway is an example, they're phasing out AM and FM radio entirely. And so there's, there's questions of what is the tech going to look like? How is that going to change? Of course, how is the consumer behavior going to evolve over time? The U.S. and the U.K. are still largely download markets everywhere else is pretty much streaming and the consumer for the most part doesn't seem to mind if they have tangible ownership of a copy so long as they have constant access to it and so what I could see happening is something very similar to what happened to the video streaming platforms where at first there were only a few and they dominated the market share and then all of a sudden and it seems like there's a new one every week there's going to be niche interest and people will be subscribed to multiple 
niche-focused music streaming platforms. That wouldn't surprise me one bit as being kind of the next step in how the market will evolve. Um, Something further that I think is going to keep becoming an interesting a dynamic is the direct access that artists have to their fans with social media and kind of unprecedented, you know, we don't need the middleman. You can go straight to the artist, straight to the fans and have a dialogue there. What do you want to listen to? Okay, I'll record more of that. And then we've seen this happen in particularly in the video game space, this idea of microtransactions. And I think the reason that the music became something people think of how it's commoditized. When iTunes launched, they had to really work hard with the recording industry to convince them that the technology of an iPod was a good idea, right? Because if you look at that from a legal standpoint, that is de facto a copyright infringement. You've made a, a copy that was not authorized, right? But it's for private use, so it's okay. And they said, okay, we want we want to authorize people to make these copies, download this music, put it on their device, and we want all the songs to cost 99 cents. And the recording industry was like, we don't think every song is worth 99 cents, and who are you to tell us how to value our product? And they came up with that essentially by working backwards off of the price of a CD at that time. They're like, okay, look, mm-hmm. your CD is like $12.99 or like $15, and you've got eight. 12 songs on there so it's roughly like 99 cents a song is like okay fine so this this is kind of we don't know how to value music and the money doesn't fall out of thin air it has to come from somewhere and so there's tension about where in the chain of distribution the the pain of paying more is going to be inflicted and if a service like spotify finds that it has to pay more to get the music they're going to raise their prices on their customer so that's kind of what everyone's trying to figure out and it's it's sort of like can the pie be made bigger somehow instead of just always worrying about how we're carving up fractions of pennies and it is it's fractions of pennies that mm-hmm. you, know, you know an artist makes like half a cent for a spin on spotify so okay so then how does this work for the the studio um, the studios in Hollywood, when they are, you know, building these big, um, they're, they're putting out this incredible music that is on a film, and then all of a sudden it becomes a number one hit. Are they also taken um, by people by these companies like a Spotify? Are they also um, having problems with that, or do they do the business differently? Are you referring to like soundtrack albums? Exactly. Yeah, usually the studio, there's some exceptions if the artist that did it has some clout to get a a kind of better deal. But typically, and certainly for the underscore, so like the instrumental music on a film, those are usually work for hire situations, which means that the studio is the publisher. So, you know, like if you get hired by Paramount or Warner or something like that, they have a publishing a music publishing division of their company that handles the soundtrack release and so they are in for it if it gets put on Spotify they're going to get the publisher's share of those royalties and they'll get the label's share of the digital performance royalty and that's worth it 
They must I'm just, keep doing it, right? They do so keep it's, doing it's it. Always, there's always been this friction, and this is what broke bands, like notoriously broke bands like the Beatles, right? Like the writers make more than the artists because right. there's more places that the composition can go to without the recording, but the recording can't go anywhere without bringing along that composition. It just so amazes charted, me. So if, Sorry, if you, if you charted publishing revenue against the, the label side, the master rights side, mm-hmm. the publishing is always going to have more opportunity and more revenue than, than the master side. And it's been that way for, since the beginning, right? Yeah. <laughs> beginning yeah. of it all, it's been that way. It way. Be. Yeah. Right, right. It doesn't mean that's the way it should be, but that is the way that it is. So if if artists that are new today who initially were some of the ones who went to Napster and Napster was stealing all the music and they just kind of went, hey, if my music can be heard, I'm good, right? So today Napster still exists. Am I correct with that? Right? That was the number one culprit. I'm not positive, you know, to be honest. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I think so. I think it still exists. It used to be Rhapsody, I remember, and then um, Napster. And so here we have these... Um, what I call thieves, <laughs> thieves in the temple, as Prince used to <laughs> play, write that. He wrote that song. It just it, it reminds me of taking it away from those who created it. And I can imagine this may sound like, you know, 2,000 years ago when the great artist um, who wrote plays, the Shakespeare's of the world, and, and can you imagine how how many times their work had was, was stolen from them? So it seems to be something that has been going on since the beginning of art. Um, and being artistic, um, and how you try to deal with that today and actually make a living from it. We could make a living. I'm an artist as well. We could make a living off of our art, off of our gifts, our, our voices. And now you can't seem to do it unless you are a superstar. So where do we go from here, Alex? Yeah, I think what you're touching on is interesting. There's, there's sort of always this duality of, of policy interests in any legal question, right? And copyright is a relatively new area of law. It goes back hundreds of years all the way to the the Statute of Anne in England. But there's the duality and competing interests are, should the artist maintain an economic monopoly, which is what a copyright provides, so they have exclusive rights to use their work, to market it, to profit from it, or does that work, is that a cultural property? Should that belong to the people? And so it's interesting when you start looking at copyright issues, particularly internationally, because different cultures and different countries have a different outtake on this. And so, for example, many Asian continent countries look at art and music as a cultural property. And they're like, sure, you know, we'll play the game and make films and make money and make music and make money. But ultimately, there's a different interest underlying the creation of that and the dissemination of that compared to in in the Western societies where we do. We want to be able to make a living from our art. And it's in some ways, there's more opportunity than ever before. But in some ways, it's a lot harder because you're chasing fractions of pennies and there's more competition and more noise to climb through. Do you remember those books called The Business of Music? 
Yeah. Remember that sort of thing? Yeah. Oh, man, we used to read those, um, you know, just sit down in a corner and stay with it for hours, you know, 10 to 12 hours in a day, just trying to read and catch up on what's new and what's, you know, what's gone. And it's, it feels as though things are leaving us a lot sooner than they used to because of technology. And I'm just wondering, we still have something called, what is it, the copyright Copyright Royalty Board, correct? We still have that. Um, and so copyright was the really big thing. If you write the song, if you're the one that owns it, you're the one that wrote it. Am I right on that? It Typically, yeah. If you wrote it, typically you're going to be the, initial, at least initially, you're the copyright owner. There are situations where that's not the case. Like I mentioned about studio projects in Hollywood before. If, you, yes. if you're hired and you're an employee and you're, you know, you work for an advertising agency, say, and you are, are tasked with writing jingles, your employer would actually own your music, not you. So they would, they would have a corporate author on it. Um, you can also do that by contract. If you're an independent contractor, say you were hired to write music for a film and they had you sign this agreement, then it would transfer the ownership of the rights over to them. Usually you get to keep the writer's share, or rather it's you know granted back to you technically. So you would be in for some share of the royalties ultimately, but they would be the de facto copyright holder. Well, it's just an interesting time, a very difficult time for those who pour out their souls, you know, um, the music. And it seems like people who copy it, you know, it used to be, what was it, eight bars? You, If you did eight bars, then that was your minimum and, oh, <laughs> and you could not. Yeah, there's, there's no real bright line rule about what, what is or no. what isn't infringement. Those cases can turn and get some very strange results. Um. <laughs> mm. Well, I tell you, it's been a pleasure to have you on, Alex, and try to explain this. I do know um, that um, in an article I was reading, it said broadcasters say they have not had a willing dance partner with which to negotiate a deal to end the long-running battle over a performance royalty for radio, and that just makes me want to cry. <laughs> so I really thank you for trying to give me some clarity and, and my listeners as well, and I do hope that we can talk again someday, and maybe things will get so much better for the artists and those that create the music um, because it's important. Thank you so much. Thank you. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 